Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. G'day, Kim. Hi, how are you? I'm better than you. Yeah. <laughs> God, this causes you anxiety, doesn't it? It does. My heart's going. I'm sorry. Well, there you go. Well, look. That's all right. Fun having you here, though. Yeah, it's good to be back. I've just had a couple of weeks in very wet UK. Did you? Oh. And and France. Don't miss out. We on had it. two days of beautiful weather in the south of France, so that was. But you couldn't tell because you were drinking. Actually, we were so sodden by then we were pretty low key. <laughs> very good. Well, Kim has undertaken not to swear today, which is very good. I'll try. <laughs> Can't promise anything. Well, look, what I thought we'd do is start off with a workers' compensation okay. case. It's more your territory. And I, just before we started, I just want to say this is the worst decision I've ever read. Kim, over to you. Well, I'm not going to say it's an SH decision, but it really is. I cannot believe this one. It just goes to show how important it is if you think there's a chance of defending a work cover claim, especially a stress claim, to go for it. Yeah. A lot of stress claims are accepted, which perhaps shouldn't be, but this one should never have been rejected, actually, and it was. So just by way of facts, Guy had an accepted work cover claim as a result of conflict with his supervisors. All okay, went back to work, put in a new department, new supervisors, that sort of thing, went to a meeting. The supervisor was chairing that meeting. Yep. And then in a meeting with his current supervisors afterwards, he said, if I, if I have to work with him again, I'll slit his throat. Not an unreasonable comment. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... So when he returned to work after a period of leave, so he'd been six off, off work for six weeks. Unrelated. That, unrelated, unrelated, unrelated medical yeah. condition. Nothing to do with it. He was suspended, not told. When he was brought back in, he was immediately thrust into a meeting without any prior warning. We're suspending you while we investigate your breaches of the code of conduct. He'd apologised profusely for the comment. And then it took them a year a whole year, to make a determination. And he didn't complain about the fact that it took a year when he should have. If any of my clients had done that, it would have been a very different outcome. Yeah. But, yeah. And they rejected the claim. Can I can I just say to you, there is an abundant, it is comedy capers when you end up in the workers' comp tribunal, isn't it? Mm. Let, let's be honest about it. You know, in yeah. the, the risk-based states, that's where there's not a, where the insurers actually have free reign much more likely to reject a claim because it's coming out of their pocket. Mm. In places like Victoria where you have a regulator who makes decisions but the insurer advise, when Victoria gets $2 billion in the red, they start rejecting claims very quickly. But the truth is, I think for Kim and I, we've learnt over a period of time, if you have an arguable case, if there's something worth arguing about, collect your documents, talk to Kim, get it right because you never know your luck on a good day. Yeah. Equally, don't try and reject every claim that comes through. No. But on this case, there'd be a dozen cases across tribunals, and as I said, they're pretty dodgy, but there'd be a dozen that say, in stand-down, you have to exercise fairness. Mm. In stand-down, you've got to provide them with a note beforehand. You've got yeah. to advise them what you're going to do. You've got to provide them with an offer of VAP support. None of that, no. none of that happened here. Not only that, there is no procedural fairness no. in any part of that occurred and so some of it, and you understand there is a, a bit of a divide, there is pre-disciplinary action is subjective. So if Kim and I are working together and she doesn't like the tone of my voice, and to be fair, often she doesn't, if she was offended and hurt by that and had a psychological sequel, subjectively that's compensable, mm. okay, because that's Kim's state of mind. If, however, Kim and I are in a performance management conversation and in a way I act outside of 
having a discussion which is fair in the circumstance and done fairly, then it is an objective test, what a reasonable person would do. Mm. This was a reasonable person stuff. Yeah, it was. And on any basis, it's unfair. Mm. So I think that comes down to all of us to understand workers' compensation is a dodgy and dangerous tribunal to be in and talk to Kim if you've got an issue of risk. Yeah. I think so. Can we go on to the next case, which is a union's intervention, a union's annoyance of employers being involved where a safety issue has arisen. So yeah. this is ADMW and Primo. Kim, yeah. facts? Okay, so employees had complained to their union about safe work practices or the lack of. Yep. The union, two union officials came on site, met with a couple of the employees in the workshop. Other employees came in, including the HR manager within earshot, and the union tried to exclude them on the basis that they were blocking open and frank consultation with the employees. The HR manager said, oh, no, we're just trying to resolve the safety issues, that's why we're here, and refused to leave. So the union brought an application to the Fair Work Commission claiming that they weren't given the opportunity to consult with the workers. And, look, can I just say this case is pretty limited on its facts, so Mm. don't get too excited by this case. But this issue had not been um, been up for contention before the court. Before yeah, the court. no, look, I agree it's with a bit that. Of a precedent. Yeah, priest and schmeister. Well. Yeah, priest and schmeister. <laughs> it's um, interesting because what the Fair Work Commission says is no, you don't have a right of confidentiality in discussions mm-hmm. around safety issues, but that's a very limited right. So if it is a vulnerable employee speaking to a union who they are a member of in respect of a complaint they have, mm-hmm. I'm afraid this case would be wrong because quite clearly that's not as an employee that is, as a member of the union raising a complaint, which can be of a confidential nature. Okay. So if the employee said, no, this is confidential, that would be the end of it. Mm. So be careful in taking this precedent for a bit of a run, if that yeah. makes sense. But equally, it's very common at the moment for unions to come on site, and if you're a banking organisation like the FSU or if you're, in, if you're in private school, it's being used at the moment by union officials to enter sites saying there's a psychological hazard. At that stage, if they describe the psychological hazard, then HR or safety are on notice of risk, mm. they say, yeah, let, let me come along and help. And if they say no at that stage, you go, wait a second, you've raised an issue which I have responsibility for and mm. you're saying I can't be present? Mm. Well, I don't want to have second-rate second evidence. I want to know what it is. And if the union say, well, the person doesn't want to be identified, well, that's difficult, isn't it, because mm. you've just identified the person. Yeah. So you can box the union in but understand this isn't, this isn't a big game changer. The mm. law has always been like that as a matter of law. It's how the union behaved at this time that gave the employers the opportunity to give them a belt, okay? Yeah. Wage inspector in Woolworths, this mm. is – it's hard, isn't it, to understand why people underpay people, but it happens in all organisations, okay? We're not immune from it ourselves for mm. times, okay? It's very easy to make mistakes. This was long service leave that accrued and it involved – many circumstances of underpayment. So it involved 24 employees. Yeah. But what, and the mistake here, the Fair Work Ombudsman bundled them all up. And so it was about a nine $10,000 for each breach. Yeah. And a magistrate found that the breaches were there without doubt because the employees are guilty entered and said, yeah. well, look, this is, you know, pretty bad. This is the worst possible circumstance. An organisation of your size making some mistakes, hard to understand. Yeah. And then said, but if it wasn't for the Fair Work Ombudsman bundling this up, it would have been $2.4 million worth of fines, mm-hmm. not 60000 yeah. So I guess the reason I wanted this case in is to show you this is the luckiest day Woolworths ever had. Yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. Their red price special here was long service life because <laughs> <laughs> they got out of jail. Had it, The Fair Work Ombudsman actually got their act together and done it correctly. Mm-hmm. 
they would have been $2,940,000 worse off. Okay, so I want you to think about that and say, you know, underpayment is a really big issue, underpayment of superannuation, underpayment of long service leave, underpayment of wages. You've got to run occasional audits, slice audits through your organisation and satisfy yourself, particularly with casual, junior and low-paid people, that you're actually hitting it, and particularly where people work flexibly longer than set hours and whether you're meeting overtime requirements. So you'll find that your supervisors often input that data and they input it incorrectly. That's where the problems Mm. happen. Please go back and do occasional audits. Yeah, because they're innocent mistakes often, aren't they? They are. Yeah, Yeah, there's nothing to suggest that Woolworths deliberately underpaid. But, you know, the idea about systems, when you look at the six elements of what a system is, the fifth element is monitoring that you're actually succeeding in what you've got to do. For that, you know, for payroll, it does require regular checks against um, what are the awards and things that are involved. All right, well, we're motoring along okay. Yeah, I don't know how many, how long we've been going here, but I'm, I'm feeling okay about it. Let's talk about... Good luck spelling that name. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, let's talk about Brambert and Sydney Tools. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Uh, again, not a case that really says a great deal. No. And, and the reason we put it in is people don't understand that when you terminate someone's employment, you must issue a notice of termination because the Fair Work Act requires you to do it. In this case, the facts, you'll have to give me the facts again Um, in this case because I mucked it up last time. Employee was terminated but wasn't given notice in writing. He was asked to sign the termination letter and he refused, which is not unreasonable. He kept requesting his termination letter so that he could see the reasons for the termination because he'd made a complaint about not being given breaks. Two days later, he was terminated for alleged poor performance. Yeah. On the 21st day, from the day he was advised of the termination, but not having the letter. Got a cold, all right? Sorry. That's always going to kill everybody at home. Um, Not an infectious cold, by the way. 21 days, he filed an unfair dismissal claim, realised he was outside the jurisdiction because he was in his probation period. Four days later, he filed a claim on the basis of the complaint that he'd made, and the employer objected on the basis that he was out of time. His, and he was granted the extension of time by the commission. Yeah. And he was granted the extension of time because the employer was too stupid to actually mm. just give him the notice. Yeah. And so, it would have made the world a difference. Yeah. Can I just, you know, we're, we're going to deal with other cases later on around discrimination law. You know, doing dumb things which can be done easily and cheaply mm. is sort of inexcusable. Mm. Not giving someone a letter of termination, you've got to, why would you ask someone to sign it? It's like people who ask, ask you to sign the warning I just gave you. Yeah. yeah. It's like saying, let me hit you in the face one more time. Yeah. You know, if you're going to give someone a warning, give them a warning. Mm. Don't make don't them do. sign and offend them even further. No. And, you know, getting to sign your own termination, well, mm. not many of us get to sign our death sentence, do we? Yeah. That's a nice <laughs> thing to do. <laughs> yes, if you could just drop the guillotine now. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> so we're going to talk now about discrimination law. And once again, we, Kim and I are going to talk endlessly, I suspect, about proper job descriptions as we go through because discrimination law always turns on what was the job when we're talking about what was the job the person was meant to be doing. And almost always you can't find that out. And then you get into this nebulous dark territory of anecdotal evidence. And Mm. the the first case we're going to deal with is Panazola and Don's Mechanical. This fascinating sort of case in some level, but the absence of evidence about what is the job is unbelievable. Mm. You you might like So we have a 
mechanic who wasn't performing very well. So, no, that's not really relevant. Anyway. No, no, it is actually. And he didn't have a di- he didn't have a driver's license. He's a diesel yeah. mechanic. He didn't have a driver's license, and his performance was slow compared to others, yeah. and not that good. Yeah. And so it was a part that played good. in the mind. Yeah, because yeah. he wasn't liked, and so he was treated very unfairly, I think, because the employer didn't like him from the get go. But in any event, he suffered a non-work-related injury. He fractured his wrist. He was out walking the dogs and got assaulted, as you do. His surgeon advised that he would be fully recovered after three months, but then he still had some restrictions at the end of that three-month period. The employer just didn't allow, they just, or A, they didn't get adequate medical evidence about his fitness for duty. They didn't provide adequate information about the nature of the role to us so he could be properly assessed against it and they refused to allow any reasonable adjustments to be considered because they just took the attitude, no, you're too much at risk, we're just not having you back until but, you have a full Can I just sort of stop there? I know I'm interfering in your run That's and you're right. starting to get confident there. The obligation under safety law is the employers, okay, okay? there's not the employers. Yeah. So requiring someone to pay to get a report sent is not lawful and the judge wasn't really the judge's skill in this case. He didn't actually analyse how utterly improper that was. Mm. But at no stage did they go, except when they got a physio at the end and do what they're required to do, which Mm. is to to write to the treating practitioner to agree to pay for that and say, well, please tell us what is the nature of the surgery that's been carried on, Mm. what impact will it have over what period of time, Mm. what adjustments will need to be made over what period of time and at Mm. what stage will the person be Injury-free. Yeah. That's what they should have done. Yeah. But instead of that, this poor bugger had to shop around the registrar at General Hospital to mm. try and get them eventually. He went to see his surgeon. The surgeon said, well, I'm happy to go and have a look, but I'd have to come to the place. I, I couldn't afford that. Yeah. So he spent two months in limbo mm. trying to get medical evidence that he was fit for work. And mm. when he eventually got that, then they said, well, we don't accept that. We're going to get a physio. Mm. That's after the surgeon said they're fit for work, I yeah. might say. Yeah. And you've got a physio. I love physios. You've got physios saying, well, now I've carried out all these very important tests. He can't squeeze his hand much and he can't lift more than 22.7 kilograms. I just want you to listen to that for a second, Hmm. 22.7 kilograms. Which he shouldn't be lifting. Can I just say to you, who makes it up? Yeah. 22, not 25, not 20, 22.7. Anyway, got a physio who overruled what a surgeon says I'm starting to cough now because I'm about to vomit myself. Nonetheless, the physio then sets out a graduated return to work and says he should be right in six to eight weeks. Mm. And what does the employer go? Not fit for work. And said to him, go back and get a report when you are. Well, the physio (laughs) recommended some suitable or reasonable adjustments, but the employer just refused and was hanging his hat on the base of the couple of lines that there were, he was at risk of aggravation if yeah. he came back and did too much of the heavy lifting side of things. Yeah. But he was given, the physio said, with a little bit more treatment, which he couldn't afford to get, yeah. he'll be fully fit in another three months. Mm. So the employer said, you go and have the physio, you pay for another assessment at the end of the three months, and then if you're cleared, you'll come back to work. He couldn't afford it and ended up resigning because he needed some money. So he wanted to go on Centrelink benefits because he's without any income throughout this whole period of time. So it's a disgraceful case, can I just say. Look, this is a small business. To be fair to it, it's a small business struggling. They didn't particularly like him. 
he wasn't a great employee and they just sort of put up a barrier. Yeah. That's the truth. But you could see the judge's frustration through the judgment at the breakdown of communication and the employee was clearly frustrated with the employee, but that was really evident in the communication. Yeah, and the judge said it's just not relevant. No. Yeah, well, that, he was quite critical of them. Yeah, he yeah. was. And some of it's not legally that sharp. But I, I mm. think the bottom line is let's go to what the judgment did sort of say and should say yeah. to get it right. First issue is, did he suffer an injury? Yes. Was it a type of injury that's an expected injury and that's a normal part of life? And the answer is, if what happened is he was a rock climber and he fell off and broke his back and he wasn't going to come back for two years, no, there would be no obligation to provide suitable duties for doing clerk work lying on his back for two years. But, no, this is a very sort of time period. People get hit by cars. People get assaulted. Yeah, so it's an injury for which they had to apply their brain. The next question when they had that injury is, well, what are the adjustments the person needed to actually to come back to work? And in respect of those adjustments, were they unreasonable or reasonable? And there's a separate test that sits under each piece of legislation that talks about whether it would be unjust to require a business to do that. And it looks at the cost of business doing it. Mm -hmm. It looks at the size of the business. It looks at the cost to the person looks to the impact on other employees. Yep. I mean, look at that in this case. Yes, a small business, but the adjustments weren't substantial that no. were being required. So it wasn't unjust to require those adjustments to be done. Yeah. And then you test it and you say, well, look, if the person who didn't suffer this injury, if it wasn't this person, hmm. what would be a comparator? That's somebody of a like doing a like role. Okay, well, it would be a person, it has to be a person, of the same skills and past experience. You can't make them a clean, a clean, you know, clean skin and say, oh, no, a really good diesel mechanic would be able to do this. Mm. And that's the whole problem with this case is Don's kept putting up the clean skin saying, he's not that good anyway, mm. and, you know, we wouldn't be able to do this. The answer is the comparator was liking but not injured but had been away for a period of time for some other reason. Mm. And the answer is three to four months and a couple of adjustments yeah. were reasonable. Yeah. At that stage, you've got discrimination. You've got detriment, which is the next issue, which yeah. is, yeah, this guy's not getting paid and mm. he's broke. He's yeah. unable to live. Yeah. So you've got discrimination. And you get to the bottom and say, well, so what is the damages that come out of all this? Mm. This guy was so poor and he was represented by legal aid, no criticism there, but... Nobody guided him as to the impact it was having on him psychologically, yeah. so he just said, yeah, it was really frustrating and I hurt, so he got $10,000. Mm. If he had a psychological damage as a result, and he probably did, mm. then he could have got $100,000. Yeah. And if he got $100,000, the $30,000 he got for economic loss, which is called special damages, mm. would have been a lot higher because it shows that his capacity to gain future work would have been longer and he was about $2,000 a month and therefore mm. he got that's what he got. So can you see this is a case that turned out very expensive for Don's because it was a mm. small business when you put legal fees and everything around. It probably cost them $200,000. Mm. But that's not the issue. It could have cost them five or $600,000. Yeah. And the answer is why don't you engage people? Why don't you be generous? Mm. Why don't you go and get proper medical evidence? Why don't you support and put your arms around somebody and it would have cost you a little bit of loss production for a month. Yeah. You know, like it's a yeah. dumb case, mm. a really dumb case. Yeah. What I thought we might just do is just add a couple of other remarks on the side of cases behind it. Yeah. And this is what Kim does for a living, is managing inherent requirements. You know, Bogues and Button was a case about what are inherent requirements, mm. and that was a supervisor who occasionally had to lift a barrel of beer. 
and you couldn't because of a bank injury. Yeah. yeah, and he got a couple of young guys to help him, but it rarely happened, mm-hmm. and it caused no economic loss to the business and the Fair Work Commission who was involved in this case said, you've got to be kidding me. Mm. His job is not lifting barrels. Like when we have an executive meeting and I go out and get coffee, that's not part of my job. I'm the managing principal. Mm. He was a supervisor. The substantial part of his job was supervision. And I want you to remember that when you talk about it. Don't go point scoring with inherent requirements. Mm. Then you look at cases like Cosmo and Quantus who give the warning that Kim and I regularly give our clients, which is people's health will degrade in age, through injury and all sorts of things. And we, as good people, accommodate that. The common law says as you accommodate period over a protracted period of time, that becomes their job. Mm-hmm. And then what Qantas did in Cosma is as they were trying to get the person back to the inherent requirements because that's the test under the discrimination law is they made every alteration, a temporary alteration, to yeah. get the person back to work yeah. and therefore they cut through that common law argument. Mm-hmm. Well, we, importantly, they documented it. They made it very clear throughout the whole process that this is a temporary measure that we're taking, but the aim is to always get you back to your yeah. full inherent requirements. Yeah. So can I just say really important. it is, isn't it? Because I don't think there's too many of our clients who aren't generous and make those accommodations. Yeah. Then they find themselves with a broken person doing 30% of their job mm. and they're actually fit for that. And that is their job. Yeah. We'll talk more about Zerubus later as to how that goes. Yeah. Let's get into job descriptions with Christy and Qantas, which is an international airline pilot, and there was conventions that said that if you're over 60, you couldn't land in all but three places around the world. Mm. And so his employment was terminated, and the High Court said, well, yes, when I look at adjustments, it is impossible for Qantas to make those adjustments Mm. because if 10 of these people do this as they turn 60, suddenly Fiji and New Zealand is completely overloaded with it can't work that way. That's Mm. part of what the job is. Job descriptions, rules in contracts, really, really important to be accurate. Last case is Zerubus. I'm sorry I'm doing a lot of the talking at the moment. That's right. Um, (laughs) Zerubus was a confectioner and Mondelez took over a confectionery site and decided to clean up the people who weren't fit for inherent requirements. Mr Zerubus had been doing degrading levels of work, had been off on a regular basis, Mm. and they looked at him and said, look, he just can't do his job. And he couldn't, so they sacked him. When it got to court, and this case went on for a long time, he only got $20,000 out of it in the end of it, but it must have cost him hundreds of thousands of dollars running it. Mm. The court said, look, nobody was able to tell me with clarity what his role was. Mr Zerubis said it was this. His supervisor said this bit different. HR went to the job description. Nobody agreed with that. Mm. And the operations manager. So I can't work out what an adjustment would be. Mm. I agree this man probably can't do his job, but I'm not seized with any evidence that I can form that view on. Yeah. And the medical evidence was unreliable because mm. you have to assess someone against the inherent requirements of the role. Without an accurate PD, how do you possibly do that? Yeah. And look, the answer is we get OTs involved under privilege mm. to actually create that with the consent of the person we're struggling yeah. with who normally are aspirational and say this is what the job is. Mm. But it's very hard to retrofit risk and, yeah. and that's sort of what we're doing. So, look, that's what we wanted to talk about today. I think it's a fascinating subject. It's mm. one, as I said, that Kim deals with every day. Let's try it out as a case study, will we? Okay. Here we go. All right. Willie was a sound technician at a recording studio, Hot Hits, HH. He, like many others in the music industry, did not have formal qualifications. He had an undergraduate electrical engineering degree with no major relevance to his current role. Willie was now 45 and had been working in his role at various studios for 20 years. HH was a relaxed place. Willie was liked by most employees, but the owner, Sly Jacobs, love it. Yeah, I could, I liked it, yeah. Sly wasn't a fan. <laughs> he thought Willie was lazy and argumentative. 
Sly had told Willie this in his 2020 appraisal. This was the first appraisal that Willie had had with HH in 15 years. Willie asked for details, but Sly just said it was his concern. Willie was working casually away from HH on another occasion, doing the sound for a heavy metal band. We'll make it very <laughs> Sydney Opera House when a bundle of fireworks exploded next to Willie's ear. It caused him immediate pain and loss of hearing in his right ear and about 40% loss in the other. His doctor said he would regain full hearing over the next three months and it would help him hone that improvement by doing a graduated return to work. However, for the next month, he must avoid all sharp or loud sounds. Sly wrote to Willie and said he had a safety duty to Willie to prevent him from being exposed to loud sounds. Presumably that was after Willie asked to return to work and gave the doctor's evidence. As recording studios record music, it was a critical risk. Therefore, Sly had to prevent the risk of hurting or further impairing Willie. Until Willie could provide a certificate providing that he was fully fit, Sly said he could not come back to work. Willie's doctor wrote to Sly a month later noting that sound is modulated in the studio, so never loud. He said Willie has made a good improvement and a key part of his rehabilitation was getting his ear back to pick up the subtleties of sound mixing. Sly wrote to Willie and said the certificate provides no audiometric limits to provide a safe workplace for Willie and as such he cannot come back to work. Further, as the studio upgrades its technology, Willie will no longer be qualified to operate the technology. In Willie's absence, Sly had spent considerable money on improved recording equipment, but in truth no formal qualification was required, but the manufacturer's manual said the sound engineering undergraduate degree was required to operate the equipment. However, there were other employees who were trained and now competent in the technology working for HH that had no such qualifications. Willie wrote back and pointed this out and made a formal complaint that he was being treated unfairly, discriminated against, and now felt that Sly was making any return to work unsafe for him by treating employees differently with the same skills and experience because he didn't like Willie. Sly sent Willie an email and explained his performance had always been poor, his prior letter was entitled and offensive, and unless he was fit to return to his pre-injury duties without limitation within four weeks, his employment would be terminated. This is a cracker. But in any event, due to his lack of qualification, his role would now be a sound engineer assistant on lower pay. Can I just say to you, I, I've got to turn the lights down, so I am beaming off the top of my head. Sorry, I, don't, I did like the way Kim corrected all my grammar as she went live. That was very good of her. So the first question is, did Sly create any psychological hazards? Yeah, look, he treated people differentially in the business, a clear psychological hazard. Mm. His letter and correspondence, rude, offensive, unlawful. They're psychological hazards. Yeah. They're up the top end of towards almost bullying, but they are certainly unlawful behaviour and psychological hazards. Yeah. Would the safety regulator do anything? No. Mm-hmm. So what was Sly's safety obligation to Willie to provide a safe place for work safe for him to, to carry out the inherent requirements of his job? So he's not yet breaching his safety obligations, but the manner in which he manages him, his duty of care, mm. is in breach, but again, would never be brought by a safety regulator. We really landed on three, don't we, Kim? Yeah. Did Sly discriminate against Willie is changing his role of detriment. So off you go. Yep. It's direct discrimination. Yeah. Interestingly, if he treated everybody differently who were sound engineers by the graduate thing, that would be indirect discrimination. Does Mm. that make sense? But he's not doing that. He's directly discriminating against it. It is a big claim, okay, and unquestionably dropping down the job is detriment. 
and it's also termination under employment law. It is a crazy thing to do, mm. but we've all said it done before. Yeah, we have. Okay, next one. Does Willie have a strong general protections claim, and if so, why? Well, he's got a killer claim, yeah. <laughs> really. He's actually raised the complaint. He's being discriminated, which is, a, which is a workplace right not to be discriminated against. Yeah. He's been treated in an unsafe manner. He's raised the complaint around that, so he's got complaints and safety obligations. Yeah. He's up and running. Can I just say on that, if Willie's damaged at this stage, psychologically unable to return to work, mm. he's got a huge claim. Yeah, he yeah. can easily demonstrate there is an out of in the course of employment, which is a threshold test. So yeah, yeah that, that's certainly for workers' comp. I was actually doing about discrimination. Oh. Yeah, but no, I'm happy for you to go into workers' comp. Oh, well, there you go. You can take that's over. So definitely <laughs> an easy, easy workers' comp claim, isn't it? It's yeah. a walk in the park unless you're in front of the AAT. Yeah, true. <laughs> Sorry, did I have to go to Kenny's case again? I did. All right, well, look, great to have you back. Thank you. Good to be back. Yeah, and um, we'll see you next. So we need thumbs up. Yeah, who? Yeah. Good Ooh. to see you.